But uh, I have a message that I'd like to share. We're on this fourth Sunday of Lent. We've been looking at Jesus' final week. And, of course, I could preach an entire year on all the events that, that occurred during that final week in relationship to Jesus and all that he accomplished and was involved with. But I want to take us to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I'll invite you to, to turn with me there. John chapter 13, we're going to begin with, re and it's a fairly lengthy passage, but again, there's so much that Jesus relates to us, so much that we can learn, beginning with the verse, uh, verse 31, and then I'm going to read into chapter 14 down through verse 14. So can I invite you to stand one more time as we receive this together? Will you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen, amen. Hear God's word for us this morning, beginning with chapter 13, John, verse 31. When he was gone, and this is referring to Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going you cannot follow now, but you will come later, follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back take you to be with me so that where you that so that you also may be where I am you know the way to the place where I'm going Thomas said to him Lord we don't know where you are going so how can we know the way and Jesus answered I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's conclude there. May God add his blessing to that word. Please, you can be seated. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. The word troubled there pictures one facing a storm, heaving oceans of waves and, and rain and wind. On Thursday afternoon, someone came into my office and said, Pastor, I just need to talk. Well, after we made some small talk, uh, this uh, young lady shared with me how anxious she was as she thinks about the situations many in our world the most recent crisis that I think really rattled her was this bank failure stuff I don't know if she'd been listening to this or that but it really concerned her and then when she put all that together with the widening crisis in Europe with Ukraine and Russia the Chinese threats over Taiwan political unsettledness right here in the U.S. never mind her own very personal issues of a new job and finances tightening because of inflation. For her, it, for her, it seemed like there was just so much trouble. Maybe you can relate. I know every Sunday, in fact, that when I come and stand on this platform, I, I realize a good percentage of you walk in this place deeply troubled. You're concerned about family issues. You're concerned about maybe it's health issues, financial issues, sin issues. For some, it seems like trouble's just following you, and it's always there. And yet Jesus has the gall to say, don't let that turmoil rest in your hearts. You can have peace in your storm. You can have comfort in that difficulty. Through me and in me, in spite of everything and anything that may come your way, in spite of loneliness and anxiety and depression and health problems and divorce and imperfect parents and unsatisfactory jobs, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus is, of course, in the upper room at this moment. He's with his disciples. We talked about last week how he washed their feet and gave them an example of how they could serve one another. He also took the time to share the bread and the cup as a memorial of his own body and blood. Jesus has declared that one of them would betray him. Now they all deny it. Is it me? Is it I, Lord? But, but Jesus, having in fact pointed to the betrayer, has uh, now allowed Judas to leave the room. Now think about what a cold, disturbing moment that must have been as Judas suddenly gets up off the table and walks out. Peter is confused and he's troubled by what, is, what he's experiencing, what has transpired. Peter expected this night to be a nice celebration. It was going to be a party, and yet it is so weighed down by somber, somber solemnity. And so Peter says, Lord... Where are you going? And Jesus says, Peter, you, you can't follow me now, but you will later. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, 
Peter says. Oh, Peter, I tell you before the rooster crows in the morning, you will disown me three times. Now think about Peter. In that moment, that moment, it must have deeply, intensely troubled him. Lord, how does that happen? Now Jesus, in that moment, is facing probably the most difficult few hours imaginable. A friend is going to betray him. His closest friends are going to deny him and run away. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be unjustly accused. He's going to be spit on, mocked. He's going to be whipped. And then he's going to be hung on a cross, naked. In the midst of all of that, all of this, he gives us this assurance that you can have peace no matter what is happening to you. And I want us to think about that peace this morning. Where does that come from? Well, first, I would want you to notice that even when Jesus is hurting, he is sensitive to the disciples' troubles. Again, note, Peter has just become aware that he himself is going to spectacularly fail Jesus. He's going to deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times within a matter of hours. Now, in your Bibles, you'll notice that we separate chapter 13 from chapter 14. But what you need to see is this is all part of one conversation. So Jesus goes directly from saying, Peter, you're going to fail me three times. After all your bravado, after all your good intentions, it's not going to amount to a thing. Now, I would have expected, I could have understood if Jesus had gone into a sermon on how stupid Peter is, how unreliable Peter is. He could have ground Peter into the ground at that moment. Yet, in spite of Peter's most spectacular failure, Jesus says to him, but don't let your heart be troubled. I don't know about you, but I see grace in that. Peter, the moment I need you the most, you're going to deny me. You're going to run. You're going to choose yourself over me. But don't be troubled. Is there anyone here this morning that has given Peter a run for his money when it comes to letting Jesus down? Peter, three times. Well, if you talk about me, I can't count how many times. I've failed in my relationship with God. When I've chosen myself over my relationship with him. There may be some here this morning who feel like you've let God down and there is no way that God wants anything to do with you. You've been through a divorce. You, you're addicted. You're, a, 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 you're in a heap of debt. You're a mess. You made promises you can't keep. And you think God has turned his back on you, and it troubles you greatly. And Jesus says to those who fail, <laughs> don't let your hearts be troubled. I, I want you to hear this this morning. God is concerned about you. 
God loves you. God is not ready to give up on you. He wants to speak to you this morning. Yes, he is a great God who is concerned about the big things. He's concerned about war in Europe, economic instability, the immigration crisis, the drug issues, the contagion of sexual confusion in our society, the epidemic of anxiety going on in our young people. All those things, yes. And we can think, well, how could he really care about me? I was thinking this week in Luke 18, there's the story of a man named Bartimaeus, a blind man, a beggar in Jericho. He's literally just sitting beside the road headed into Jericho. This begging man who, 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 who's no matter to anybody, but he suddenly hears a crowd and all the excitement, and he asks someone, what is going on? And someone tells him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town. And this blind beggar begins to call out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Luke 18, 39, in fact, says, those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. I think it's significant we know his name, don't you? And Jesus heard his cry. And he stops and he says, bring, bring this man to me. Bartimaeus, what do you want? Uh, Lord, I want to see, he says. And Jesus touches his eyes and he could see. <laughs> and he could see that Jesus cared about a man that others disregarded and didn't seem to matter. You see, Jesus didn't just care about the big hitters and the influential folks who could do him a favor. I, I can't fully explain it, but he knows each of us intimately and individually. The Bible says he has the hairs on our head numbered. Now, for some of you, that's easier than others. He, he, he knows the thoughts of our heart. The Bible says that when a sparrow falls, he's aware of that, and how much more is he concerned about you? You know, I, I never saw this before. I've read John many times, but sometimes you, you don't ever put it, all of it together. But notice this. In John 13, verse 21, this is the same setting. They're in the upper room. They're speaking together. It says this. After he had said this, he was talking about Judas. It says Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? Before, just moments before, Jesus says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. The Bible says that Jesus himself was troubled. Same word in the Greek. Terrasso. So, so listen, how was it that Jesus was troubled? But we don't have to be. Is Jesus a contradiction? Is, just, is Jesus misleading us? And then I realized something. Because I think this is what happens. Jesus says, I'll take your troubles put them on myself Peter the man who is deeply troubled in this moment would later write in 1 Peter these words cast all your anxiety on him because he cares 
for you. It would accurately be translated, that verse, his, he troubles for you. He takes it all. He takes your anxiety, your fear, your trouble itself. And he says, I'll take that from you. We used to sing a song that goes through my mind often. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Though the days be weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. I was going to sing that this morning, but my throat's a little dry, so you'll, you'll forgive me. You wouldn't want that. You'd be troubled if I did. He takes the troubles on himself. But secondly, I want you to see this. Jesus goes further than that. He gives us a reason, a sound reason, for this hope that he offers. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Well, you trust in God, trust in me. Notice that Jesus' comfort is not a shallow, wishful kind of thinking. We hear all the time about the power of positive thinking. Things will turn out fine if you just believe hard enough. Hope for the best. Believe in yourself and everything will work out. Now, I've got no problem with positive thinking. I, I, I hope to be a positive kind of person. But just because you hope something turns out doesn't mean it's true. I might say to you this morning, I think Ohio State's going to win the national championship in football this year. Why? Well, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust it. And I could really hope for it. And I do every year, of course. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's an empty hope unless they work and beat that team up north and all those things. You know, the same thing is true spiritually. There's a lot of empty hope when it comes to certain things you know i've been to those funerals you have too where the person who died never made a commitment to christ he or she lived completely for themselves they they snubbed a relationship with the lord and yet their loved ones will stand around the casket and say something well i'm just so thankful he's in a better place i i know that that, that she is better off and the funeral home is probably not the place to do it, but I think somewhere along the line, somebody ought to ask the question, what do we base that hope upon? Is there reality in your comfort? Jesus gives us a reason to be comforted. He said, you believe in God, believe in me, but you, you, you can trust me. You can believe in me, and here's why. The disciples had sound reason to trust in Jesus. They had lived with him for three years. He lived an incredible life of righteousness, of integrity in their presence. They had heard him teach about the kingdom of God and its beauty. They had witnessed his transfiguration. They had seen his mighty miracles. And this one says, I am telling you the truth. Right now in my father's house are many rooms. If that weren't true, I would have told you. In other words, he's saying, he's saying, don't be troubled. God is going to make everything right someday. Trust in me. 
There really is life after death. There's coming a day when there will be no more pain and sorrow and tears and trouble. You can base that on my word because in my Father's house, there's room for you. You see, that's not wishful thinking. It's because Jesus said it and we can take it to the bank. We can believe it's true based on his person. Peter, again, Peter would later write in 2 Peter 1, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his glory. We, we were around him. We know who he is and what he did. And then in verse 19, it says, we also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The world is a dark place. That's a given. Sometimes a loved one dies. Sometimes the marriage is irreparable. Health can't be restored. Relationships can't be the same. It doesn't look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But there is a light shining in a dark place. It's Jesus. Bob Benson wrote a book entitled See You at the House. When he wrote it, he knew he was dying of cancer. He prayed for healing, but those prayers were not answered affirmatively. He wrote, I used to think of dying as leaving the party early, but I've come to understand that there's a party going on someplace else, and I'm missing out on it. The Bible calls that party the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we sit around with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom, and we celebrate. We celebrate the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God. We base our hope on sound reason. We base it on the person of Jesus and what he's done. But, second, but thirdly, I would say this. Jesus demonstrates how he prepared a way for victory, for this hope. Jesus says, now I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus didn't promise eternal life. He demonstrated it. He said, I'm going to make a way for you to go to heaven by paying for your sins on the cross. And after I've gone and crossed that river of death, I'm going to come back to demonstrate to you that it can be done. Now, this world is a dangerous place, but Jesus has blazed a path for us so that we can come to God. He has gone ahead of us to the cross. He absorbed all the fiery blasts of the evil one himself. And when we follow him, he leads us from trouble to victory and peace. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. One of the things that happens in is Jesus has blazed a path for us. He says, walk in that path. Follow in those steps. You can trust him. He's been there and back. And our comfort then is based on the example of Jesus Christ. If he endured all the troubles of this world, 
I can endure them too. If he went through the valley of the shadow of death and emerged victoriously, I can follow his path. He promised, I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to follow in his steps. And Jesus said, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I hope that brings you comfort this morning. But I want to point to one more thing. <laughs> I love this. This young lady who was in my office said, but pastor, I have so many doubts. You notice here how Jesus is so patient with our doubts and questions. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? A bartender had a few questions when a cowboy who just moved to Montana from Texas walked into his bar and ordered three mugs of beer. He sits in the back of the room drinking a sip out of each one in turn. A few days later, the same thing. He comes in, he orders three more beers, and the bartender says, Sir, uh, you know, a, a mug goes flat after I draw it. I, I bet it would taste better if you bought and drank one at a time. Why do you order three at a time like that? Well, the cowboy replies, Well, you see, I have two brothers, and when we were facing any kind of trouble at all, we'd sit and talk over it over a beer together at home in Texas. Now one is in Arizona, the other is in Colorado, and here I am in Montana. So when we left Texas, we all agreed, we promised, we'd drink this way to remember how we used to drink together. So I drink one beer, and then one for my brother, and then one for my other brother. Well, the bartender admits that that's a pretty nice tradition, and he just leaves it there. So regularly, the guy comes in and orders three beers, drinks them in turn, until one day, he orders just two. Well, everyone takes notice. The bar is rather silent. The bartender goes over, and he says, I don't want to intrude on your grief, but I, I just want to offer my condolences on your loss. The cowboy first looks quite puzzled, and then it dawns on him, oh, no, everybody's fine. It's just that my wife and I joined the Baptist church, and I had to quit drinking, but it hasn't affected my brothers a bit. There you go, Phil. Phil Cox gave me that. <laughs> Thomas had questions. Thomas was a thinker and a doubter. We call him Doubting Thomas. You know, after the resurrection, he said, I'm not going to believe this till I see him for myself, till I touch the wounds in his side, till I feel the nail prints in his hands. And yet Jesus doesn't turn him away. No, Jesus says, Thomas says, help us know the way. Jesus gives him clear direction. Jesus says, I'm the way. It's me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thomas, I am the way. I am the answer to your question. Stay on this road, and you will get there. God is not afraid of your doubts and your questions. Joe Bailey is an author and pastor 
who lost three of his children to death, two in an automobile accident and another one due to disease. When his third child died, he writes about how he sat in that funeral home and he just couldn't take it anymore. He was so distraught, so upset. He suddenly found himself just bolding from the funeral home, sitting in the parking lot, getting into his car, tears streaming down his face. He turned on the car and he just went for a drive. Exploded in rage and he cursed and he cursed and he cursed God more and more. And he said, when it was done, God didn't strike me with a lightning bolt. He could have. I deserved it. I knew I was wrong. I suddenly just asked for forgiveness. And he said, I know God didn't condone my behavior, but I knew in that moment he understood and he was patient with me. He ended up writing a book called A View from the Hearse. And that book was a comfort to thousands of people who read it. Jesus says to every one of us this morning, give me your trouble and follow me. Are you troubled this morning? Maybe you failed God and you're just overburdened with guilt. Maybe something is going on in your home or your job or your finances and it just feels overwhelming. Let him have your troubles. Maybe you're afraid of death and you've never given your life to Christ and put your faith in him alone. Give him that darkness. Give him that sin. And let him give you life and freedom and the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice how many verses I was able to glean from First and Second Peter? Peter failed him. But don't let your heart be troubled, Peter. I'm not done with you. Peter saw his majesty. Peter saw his resurrection. Peter was a changed man, and you can be changed too. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. For when the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Let's pray together. Father, I hope this message resonates with our hearts as we consider the troubles that we might be facing. Dear Jesus, I believe there are beautiful people in this room who may be troubled, who need the comfort of your spirit. may they be able to cast their cares upon you maybe they feel like they failed you I've been there a few times myself but you're God of forgiveness and grace maybe they are facing a mountain that seems so hard and difficult and they feel alone 
May they know your presence, your mercy. May they know faith in you and trust you in the midst of their, their difficulty. Maybe, Lord, they're just afraid of death. Lord, as a Christian, we, we do not need to fear death. When we follow you, you've promised us that you've made a way. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to confess you as their Savior, that they would offer you their trouble, their sin, their darkness. And, Lord, you would give them your righteousness and peace. Thank you, Lord, that even now you want to comfort the troubled. Have your work here. And we will praise you because you are God and you are good and you've made a way. We praise your holy name.